Payback, a so powerful parable by Dana Buck. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Romans 12, verse 17 through 19. There are a host of scriptures in which God requires us to do the very opposite of what our flesh and our sin nature want to do. Right at the top of that list is love your enemies. In Payback, we will meet the Saturday Payback Club and find out what happens when this principle is put to the test. Payback, a so powerful parable by Dana Buck. There's nothing like Saturday morning, faint sunlight that brings sweet renewal. No alarm clock will ring, there'll be no hurrying, and greatest of all, there's no school. The covers are kicked with abandon. Throw on a t-shirt, sneakers, and jeans, and the pockets restore the key to the back door, a jackknife and six jelly beans. To the kitchen for orange juice and Wheaties, and a bonus, the last jelly roll. Read the stories of jocks on the cereal box and drink the last bit of milk in the bowl. Then fly down the steps like a panther, on sneakers as flashing as skates. Run three houses down, make a whistling sound, and dash through the half-open gate. For it's here that the rendezvous happens, the garage of best friend Billy Corder. The door's barely ajar, and there's no room for cars, Billy's dad being pack rat and hoarder. Sliding in from the sunlight to shadow, then past newspapers and towering stacks. Round old tables and chairs to the place where the stairs forms an alcove that's hidden in back. This corner's been their secret hideout since they met on the swings in third grade. Their club's so exclusive, so secret, reclusive, few memberships ever get made. And sure enough, Billy is waiting as the alcove is stealthily invaded. Bill plays the club host as he chews on some toast from the kitchen he recently raided. With a mouthful of bread, he inquires, what's the password, then sits back to wait. He cracks a wide grin when he hears Gunga Din and says, Willie, what kept you? You're late. Yes, the clubhouse of Willie and Billy holds a bond more substantial than time, and this tie's been intact since they discovered the fact that their names so pleasantly rhyme. From here, they've launched countless adventures, been ball players, pirates, and spies. To the space neath the stairs, no other compares, just right when you're ten-year-old guys. Then a sound in the dark by the doorway reminds them they're not quite complete. For this clubhouse of two added somebody new when a family moved in across the street. The new member is quickly approaching winding their way through the boxes and bins, then a deliberate pause, for this club has its laws, and a voice whispers out, Kunkadin. They both give permission to enter, and in from the junk-packed garage comes a smiling female with a blonde ponytail like a Saturday clubhouse mirage. She sets herself down on a tire, 
pops a bubble she's blown with her gum. Sorry I'm late, had a date with a plate, couldn't leave till the dishes were done. She laughs at her own bit of humor, and the boys roll their eyes in reply. My mom says it's okay if I stay out all day. What's the plan for the morning, you guys? Now you may ask, how'd a girl gain admittance? How'd she shatter the feminine ban? Well, without being silly, how did Willie and Billy become Willie and Billy and Jan? Well, it doesn't take long once you meet her to find Jan is no typical girl. She wins any foot race, plays an epic third base, climbs the tallest of trees like a squirrel. Undefeated in ping pong and marbles, rabid football and basketball fan. As if there was doubt, Willie and Billy found out, you don't say no to a girl like Jan. So together they form quite a trio, with the exclusion of girls now receding. So t'was a plan put forward by Jan that shaped their Saturday meetings. The agenda was really quite simple, with paper and pen in their fists, record who had seemed cold, insulting, or mean on a roster they called payback list. Every person who bullied or threatened, confronted, embarrassed, or hurt them had their name written there as each member declared the reason they wished to insert them. I'm submitting my teacher, Ms. Redner, said Billy, his voice low and cool. There was talking in class she assumed, never asked, and then made me remain after school. She's a good one, said Jan, nodding slowly. She punished me on my first day, made me stand by the wall because I ran in the hall. She deserves our attention today. Well, I've got a name for the roster, said Willie. It's Mrs. O'Brien. She yelled at me hard when I cut across her yard, even though it's just all dandelions. She's a mean one, said Billy, agreeing, with those signs that say keep off the grass. And they concluded with verve, Mrs. O'Brien deserved a prominent place in their cast. It was Jan's turn to make a submission. Her demeanor turned quiet and sad. I am conflicted and caught, for, believe it or not, my name for the list is my dad. He comes home every night without speaking, and when he does, he just makes my mom cry. He pays me no regard, no more catch in the yard, no matter how often I try. He used to be funny and loving, and now his mood's always distant and black. I don't want much at all, just with him play some ball. He desperately needs some payback. The boys exchanged looks of discomfort as Jan cast her eyes to the floor. Their concern was exuded, for they'd never included a close family member before. Are you sure, Jan? Willie inquired. She said yes, her eyes starting to mist. Okay, it's your dad. Billy took up the pad and added his name to the list. So with that, they'd each named a target. The list was now done and complete. They outlined their plans with conviction, shook hands, and then hurriedly biked down the street. They rode till they came to the ball field, parked their bikes in and under the bleachers. From there, out of sight, they could watch with delight the house of Miss Redner, Bill's teacher. They wait as they spy from the shadows, and their vigilance is soon rewarded as down the steps full of fire in her jogging attire, 
Miss Redner athletically sported. She strolls to the edge of the sidewalk, then turns and starts running in place, her eyes clear and fixed on a bright object which puts a satisfied smile on her face. For there it is, parked in the driveway, splendid in the morning sun's glare. No ifs, ands, or maybes, this is Miss Redner's baby. It's her 52 Chevy Bel Air. It's been in the family for decades, from grandfather passed down to her. Now here it sits, just as good as it gets, awaiting payback to occur. She moves off, jogging quick down the sidewalk, and the trio move into the light. They run across the street on quick sneakered feet with supplies that they'd strapped to their bikes. In a blink of an eye, they get busy, all the while keeping watch for the teacher. They swarm the Bel Air just as they had prepared, quite assured that their message will reach her. And before they vacated the driveway as stealthy and quick as a viper, Bill left a note with a message he wrote tucked under the driver's side wiper. Their timing is tight and exquisite. As their bikes cross the ball field, they walk. When they pass through the fence, the air fills with suspense, for Miss Redner's jog back on the block. As she brings her workout to completion and fingers her neck for a pulse, just a few steps from done, recognition's begun, and she feels her heart jump and convulse. She, in wonder, approaches the Chevy, while her hand slowly drops from her throat. She moves around the car with her mouth just ajar from the windshield, recovers a note. But our trio have missed this transaction, for there's other hijinks to be done. On their bikes they are flying to Mrs. O'Brien's Saturday payback has only begun. Again, their good luck is uncanny. Mrs. O'Brien just drove down the street. Her dog raises a cry, but she doesn't know why. It's his view from the passenger seat. Had she known what her canine was seeing, she'd slam on her brakes really hard. If she'd looked in her mirror, what there would appear? Three kids moving towards her front yard. Their work is not long to completion. They're here, and then quickly they're gone. You can be quite assured that payback has occurred with one look at the O'Brien lawn. For there in the absolute center is the fruit of the plan that was hatched. Situated with flair, it's located where Willie's handwritten note is attached. And so two of the three are accomplished, the tasks on the list nearly done. For their final barrage, they must search the garage through Billy's dad's stuff by the ton. Finally, sifting through mountains of items, the sheer mass serves to pause and confound them, till at last Billy cries, Where the heck are you guys? Come over here quick, look, I found them. So Willie and Jan scramble over, the boxes as dense as a thicket. They smile side by side at what Billy has spied. Oh yeah, Jan says. This is the ticket. Meanwhile, across the street in the kitchen, Jan's father prepares to go out. So slow is his pace, and he wears on his face an expression of worry and doubt. For today is day one at the car wash, the last job that he wanted to take. 
He's felt stuck in a trough since he was laid off from his job at the mill by the lake. His looking for work has been fruitless while the bills piled up week by week. He's done all that he can to hide it from Jan, embarrassed and discouraged and bleak. With a sigh, he heads off towards the bus stop and a spirit of abject defeat. As Jan's father departed, the clubmates got started, dragging box after box across the street. And with the flourish of Pablo Picasso, Rembrandt, Da Vinci, Rodin, this last act from the list, truly no one could miss, bringing great satisfaction to Jan. With their Saturday work now completed, they move from the sun to the shade and give their hunger triage back in Billy's garage, bologna and pink lemonade. Meanwhile, across from the ball field, a teacher stands reading a note. She sat down on her steps and quietly wept, massaging the lump in her throat. The words brought a flood of emotions, as did the state of her car. She rereads the lines of the message, unsigned, the words on the page, here they are. Miss Redner, know this demonstration is intended to highlight and feature what we think about you and all that you do as our new elementary teacher. We felt in presenting this message that it would be timely and prudent to just clearly state that we think you're great. Sincerely, to some of your students. She looks from the note to her Chevy and smiles, her emotions relaxed. In the driveway it gleams, for it has been cleaned and thoroughly polished and waxed. She finds herself buoyed and uplifted and encouraged in spirit and heart, for school had become largely lacking the fun that it did when she first got her start. But this note and the car in the driveway serve somehow to wonderfully reach her in that place in her soul where she cherished her role and was proud to be somebody's teacher. As Miss Redner sat glad and encouraged at another house not far away, stands Mrs. O'Brien, who's controlling her crying as she stares at her lawn in dismay. The grass has been edged, raked, and curried. The dandelion's gone with the weeding. In the midst of her yard sits a bag and a card, the words of which now she is reading. Mrs. O'Brien, we hope you are happy with the work we have done with your grass. We're sorry at times we ignored your signs and we've thoughtlessly on it trespassed. We promise to try and do better, that our work here has helped make amends. May this bag full of weeds be our pledge of good deeds. Sincerely, some neighborhood friends. She lets herself go to a memory as her hand gently falls to her side of her late husband Don, these three summers gone, how the yard was their hobby and pride. They'd garden each Saturday morning, grooming flowers, grass branches, and fronds. Then they'd sit in their chairs on the porch by the stairs. How she missed Saturdays spent with Don. Since he'd passed, she avoided the gardening as the lawn succumbed to dandelions. No lunch in the shade, no memories made, 
No joy came to Mrs. O'Brien. Yet now, as she stood in the sunshine and smiled at her manicured lawn, her heart so long stilled was suddenly filled, and she shared this fine moment with Don. And what of our intrepid trio? They hang out in their cool garage nook. The day's slow to unravel. They play five games of Scrabble and consume several new comic books. You may ask, what launch Saturday payback? Spawn good deeds from this small clubhouse perch. Inspiration came via Jan's brilliant idea from something she'd learned at her church. They were reading the book of Philippians, verse 3, found within chapter 2. Avoid a conceited condition and selfish ambition and count others more worthy than you. There was also a passage in Romans. When people don't act as they should, refuse the desire of your anger and ire and so overcome evil with good. She brought this to Willie and Billy, and together they all did agree to make up their list and each weekend persist in a reverse payback full blessing spree. Kind notes and unseen acts of service became their expression of choice. A dozen times they'd performed acts like what made Mrs. O'Brien and Miss Redner rejoice. So now Saturday came to conclusion with them feeling much more saint than sinner they switched off the light in that garage packed so tight and each made their way home to their dinner. As Jan crossed the street to her driveway, she paused to inspect the front yard. While just up the street, her dad, dead on his feet, trudged home from a day long and hard. He stopped on the sidewalk and tarried, not sure he believed his tired eyes. For on the grass mounted in numbers uncounted were balls of all colors and size. There were balls used for throwing and hitting, and those meant for bouncing or rolling. There were footballs and softballs and baseballs and golf balls for croquet, for tennis, for bowling. Some were ill-used and deflated, while others looked brand new and spiffy. Balls for soccer and pool and one really cool, apparently signed by Ken Griffey. There seemed enough balls in the front yard to reach from the earth clear to Saturn. With his hands on his thighs, he could now recognize they were placed there in some kind of pattern. Then he comprehends this is a message, and the greatest that he's ever had. His tears can't be held, for those countless fears spelled, I miss playing ball with you, Dad. He bends over and picks up a baseball as a thought heals his heart like a salve. When life gets too bitter, just stop and consider the numberless blessings you have. On the steps, sitting still, finally noticed, with a baseball glove on her left hand, through streaming wet eyes, he nods as he spies his precious and beautiful Jan. She stands with a fist, pounds the pocket, he smiles, understanding it all. Gleaming white with red seams, he holds the best of his dreams, and laughing, he throws Jan the ball. When life seems unfair and a burden, when it's peace and contentment you lack, remember that blindness is banished by kindness. 
when in mercy and grace you pay back. There is a saying, revenge is a dish that is best served cold. However, according to God, that phrase should go something like this. Revenge is a dish that is best never served at all. The desire to get even isn't something that needs to be taught to us humans. Anyone who has watched kids at play knows that. And without intentionality, it's not something we grow out of. The desire to avenge a perceived wrong seems to be hardwired into the DNA of our flesh. Is God asking us to be doormats? Asking us to just take it while we're abused or taken advantage of? Not at all. In Romans 12 verse 21, the admonition is very clear. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. By loving our enemies, by not striking back in anger, we actually overcome evil. We stand above it. We surmount it. We don't get even. We triumph. God's ways will always take us to a higher place, a place where we are more like Him. That sounds like the place I want to be.